Good morning, church. How are we? Good, good. I love it. I love it. Hey, so if we haven't met before, my name's Bryce, and I serve here as our pastoral intern, and I'm excited to be in the cool room, as I call it, because you guys are the coolest people in our church. Don't tell anybody else I said that, but I think it's true. I've been delighted every time I've been able to be up here and uh, bring the Word of God to you today. Uh, one of the pictures we showed a few moments ago had my brother in it. So he's my only sibling. He's five years younger than me, which means he's a senior in high school. It's hard to believe, and he's about to go to North Greenville University uh, here in August and study worship. He is on the ministry track like myself, and uh, for that I'm very, very thankful. But he and I this week were spending a little bit of time together, and we were thinking through all the people that God had put in our path that have served as mentors in our life to get us to the places we are now and will be one day. And some of those mentors in our lives, yours as well, I'm sure, is those that are close to us, like parents, grandparents, family members, and close friends. Others of our mentors are far off. They're ones that maybe we don't meet, maybe we will never meet, but we know about, we read about, we see in action, we hear what they say. And I thought it would be fitting, based on our sermon series, to start off by reading you a few famous quotes, famous words, from some of my mentors. Here's the first one. This is from Walt Disney. The way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. That's Walt Disney. Here's the second one. Well done is better than well said, Ben Franklin. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. Mother Teresa, I'm going to read that one again. Um, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. We could probably stop the sermon right there, um, and we can all go home today. Thank you for coming. I hope you enjoyed the worship service. Um, here, here's, here, here's the next one after Mother Teresa. Whoever's happy will make others happy as well. That one's Anne Frank. And then finally from Aristotle, it's during our darkest moments that we must focus to see the light. Now these are all some profound words spoken by some incredible individuals. But they've all got a few things in common. For instance, they came, they did incredible things. They said incredible words. But then one day, they passed away. They died. And it was over. Today, we're looking at what I would define as the living word. And the reason I would define this book, the Bible, as the living word is because it's the words of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus did the same thing. He came. He did incredible things. He said incredible words. And then he died on a cross just like that. But the story wasn't over. And he got back up three days later. And I believe in this very moment, he's alive right next to our Father in heaven. And because of that, these words in this book that we're about to open can be trusted to the fullest extent. Because the words that Jesus said have the power, the only thing that actually has the power to transform the way we live. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you are alive, Jesus. If you weren't, there'd be no point for us to be here. But I'm thankful that it's true. I'm thankful that you didn't stay in the grave, and because of that, we intend to give you as much glory as we possibly can today. God, for the last few moments, we spent time giving you our praise, giving you our burdens, giving you our baggage, giving you our thanksgivings, but now it's time to receive from you. We pray that right now we'd receive something new, something that we need for this day, for this week that we're about to enter into. As we open your word, I pray that it would not return void. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've got a Bible, I want to tell you where we're going today. 
We're starting off in the very first book of the New Testament. It's the first gospel listed called Matthew. It is actually not the first gospel that is believed to be written. That would be Mark. But Matthew used a lot of Mark in order to write what he wrote. So we're going to go to the first book, Matthew, chapter 5. This is right at the beginning, towards the beginning, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It lasted from chapters 5, 6, and 7. He taught a lot of incredible things to people who had listening ears, including us here today. We're starting in chapter 5, verse 38. If you are able to, I'd invite you to stand with me. This is a sign of reverence that this book, the Bible, is our final authority. Starting in verse 38, here's what the Bible says. You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat to We're in the sermon series, Mark My Words, and today I want to talk for a few moments about Jesus' command to turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. You may be seated. Now, if you've still got your Bible open, don't close it quite yet because I want you to see something. Right around the passage that we just read, you'll probably notice before it and after it, a lot of those sections of Jesus' teaching starts off the same way. Jesus will say things like, you've heard that it was said, or you've heard that the law that says. Because in this section, I think Jesus is addressing some comments and some commands from the Old Testament. And please hear me, his goal is not to get rid of the Old Testament. Instead, his goal is to show us a better way to understand, the best way to understand what's said in the Old Testament. Because church, here's the truth. In order to have the greatest understanding of the New Testament, we first have to take a look and learn from the Old Testament. Testament, because I believe that they're not two separate works. In fact, they all go together as one word of God, one Bible. When I was a freshman at Newberry College, before I transferred to Columbia International University, I had this English class, and I went in on the first day of class, and we got the syllabus, and so we kind of knew what was coming that semester. And right in the middle of the semester, we had this one assignment where we had to do a book report on one of the Harry Potter books. It was actually the third one in the series, I believe. It's called Prisoner of Azkaban. If we have any Harry Potter fans and I was incorrect, please continue to listen to my sermon today. (laughs) But I had not read, and actually still haven't, read any of the other Harry Potter books. This was an isolated uh, study that, that I did. This was the only one I read out of the whole series. And so we were given a week to read it, our class, and so I read the book. I enjoyed reading the book. It was, it was a good book. But I get back to class. I walk in the room. I will never forget this. Walk in the room, and people are going nuts, like in a good way. They are crazy. They, 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 they drank like eight Red Bulls. It was ridiculous. And if you know anything about Bryce Holdman, you probably know that I tend to be a really excited guy, like always, okay? But these people, they were on another level, and I had no idea why they were so excited on this particular day after reading this particular book. And so I finally pulled one of my classmates aside because I was like the only one that wasn't this pumped up. And I said, what is the big deal? Like, did I miss something? Was, was, there some, was there some page that I just left out that I didn't read that everybody else got? And he said, no, no, no. The reason we're all excited is because there were certain things mentioned in book one and two that now make so much more sense because I read book three. Now, I felt left out in this moment, and I regretted not reading books one and two and even the series going forward after that. But that's what I believe in some sense the Bible's like. That many people will isolate the New Testament or the Old Testament. They'll draw a line in the middle and they'll say these are two very different works about very different things. But I believe that this is one. And because it's one, it can be trusted for transformation in our lives 
today. And that's what Jesus in this whole section of teaching is trying to help us understand, that we have to have a holistic understanding of Scripture. And so he starts off quoting what we just read, an Old Testament principle that says, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. He says that the punishment must match the injury. And in the Old Testament, this very thing is stated many times, one of which is in Leviticus chapter 24, where the Bible says these words, anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury they inflicted. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, or a tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back to them. But the important thing that we have to understand before we go any further is that this command in the Old Testament, its original context was in a courtroom setting for settling a case in a courtroom. But the reality was many folks around Jesus when he's teaching this in the New Testament had taken that very principle out of its original context and they had applied it to their personal day-to-day situations. And that's what he's addressing. He essentially wants to redeem our view of revenge. He wants to redeem the way that we look at getting, seeking revenge. And today I think there's two practical things that God wants to teach us. This is not a three-point sermon. This is a two-point sermon. Two things. One of them has to do with how we receive something thrown our way, something given to us that we don't like. The other has to do with what we intend to give back in return. And so if you're taking notes today, I want you to give the first one attention for a few moments, receiving without retaliation. That's what God desires from us first and foremost. We have to be willing to receive certain things in our life without retaliation. Jesus says these words, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek as well. Now in Jesus' culture, I want to give you a little background here. The left hand was seen as unclean. And so essentially, if someone was going to slap you on the right cheek, they would have to still use their right hand. And it would be a backhanded Slap. This was the type of slap that, that a master would slap a slave with, or in that culture, a father to a son, a Roman to a Jew. It was a backhanded type of slap. And so when Jesus is speaking these words, even here today in our 2021 culture, he's speaking about backhanded insults that are thrown our way, backhanded accusations made that maybe are false, hateful things said to us. And what he says is, I need you to turn the other cheek. And what he means by turning the other cheek is when you do, they will no longer be invited to backhand you as an inferior. They will be invited to outright slap you as an equal. He's trying to take us from a view of inferiority to now an equal. Because when someone understands that they are about to slap an equal, say something hateful to an equal, view that person as an equal, nine times out of ten they get convicted of the sinful behavior, their sinful words, their hateful words that they throw at us. And that's where we meet Jesus at in this text. But too often, even in our culture today, how easy is it for us all, me included, to have a normal reaction of not turning the other cheek, but trying to slap as hard or even harder than we were slapped. Chances are many of us will not experience a physical slap in the face when we leave this place today. But often, we have hateful things said to us. We have insults thrown our way on social media that we have no control over. 
We have accusations made that are the farthest thing from being true. But nonetheless, they're thrown our way. And so when we exit today, we've still got blows coming our way. We've still got some sort of metaphorical slap coming our way. But even though our tendency as humans is to fight back against those things, I believe that God wants to show us today that retaliation always leads, not sometimes, always leads to escalation. If there's any parents in the room and you've got some kids that tend to get into arguments with one another, whether it be a physical argument, a verbal argument, you know exactly what I mean. I haven't had the privilege of being a parent quite yet, but I know that there are many times where my brother and I would get into many verbal arguments about things that really didn't matter. But retaliation always led to escalation. There's a famous baseball player you probably know the name of. His name's Jackie Robinson. Famous for a lot of different things, but he was actually the first guy in the MLB when he entered the MLB to kind of break the race barrier that had been set. See, racial tensions were at a very high place in that culture. And when he entered the MLB, a lot of people didn't like it. People were frustrated with it. He got a lot of hateful things thrown his way. Insults that he couldn't control and he didn't deserve. But there came a point where someone went to the Brooklyn Dodgers, his team, their manager, and said, can you tell me why on earth did you sign this guy knowing that all this baggage was going to come with you from the media, from the people outside of this organization that see this decision? And here's what the manager said. I wanted Jackie on my team because I was looking for a baseball player with enough guts to not fight back. I wanted to break this barrier. I knew that was going to be my goal. But I selected this individual because I knew that he had enough guts to not fight back. You see, Jackie started to walk alongside a Methodist pastor back in the day. He met with him many times a week. And he finally came to the place where he was able to realize this with confidence. That the path to the justice that I want to see, the path to the change that I want to see in the world, the culture around me, it's not going to come with fists and with fury. It's going to come with love and restraint. You see, Jackie Robinson understood that there are no, absolutely no redemptive qualities in fighting back. There's no redemption involved in fighting back. It's not inviting anybody to actually change on either side. It's only allowing more conflict, unhealthy conflict, to take place. And so what I think God's challenging us to today, if we're willing to accept it, is to receive the insult, receive the accusation, receive the hateful statement, and decide to be countercultural in our response. Now, I don't want to go any further without clearing one thing up. This text that we read this morning is often used by people with a microphone like me in churches like this to justify abuse. And I'm sorry, but that's just not true. You see, Jesus, if he had this microphone instead of me, I'm pretty confident that he would not read this text and allow it to justify abuse taking place, whether that be abuse in the past, in the present, in the future. I don't think that's what Jesus is intending. And I've personally heard many sermons where these things will be said very identically to how I've said them today. And the pastor will use this text to justify a means like that. And I just don't think that's what Jesus desires. Instead, I think he desires us to act, to receive Things coming our way as insults, accusations, hateful statements. And use our discernment through the power of the Holy Spirit to know how best to respond. And when we respond, be countercultural 
in our response. Because I believe that when we decide to turn the other cheek, we are helping someone else see the magnitude of the hateful or the insulting thing that they just said or did to us. They aren't expecting us to turn the other cheek. No one in this world is expecting you to not fight evil with evil and not fight hate with hate. It shocks the people when we choose to do it. But here's the question that still remains today. It's one thing to know about how to turn the other cheek. It's a whole different ballgame to actually do it, to actually receive that maybe this does actually apply to us today. That's still the question on the table. How do we actually do that? I think that there are two things that have to get out of the way for us to do that. Two things that are inside of all of us that have to get out of the way. They both start with the letter E. The first one is our ego. We've all got an ego. Our ego has to get out of the way. I've been doing some leadership development with Pastor Chad. Love Pastor Chad, incredible man of God. And... Um, one of the first things he taught me was what he defines as ego humiliations. Now, I don't know if he coined that term, but I'm going to give him credit. Ego humiliations. And essentially what that is, is Chad told me that he will pray on a consistent basis that his ego would get humiliated. For instance, you are in a conversation with someone. You are talking in that conversation about your area of expertise. Everyone in the conversation knows that's your area of expertise. And then you make a statement. And it is factual. It sounds great. But there's one or two things that are slightly misquoted or off. That for you is an ego humiliation. Or maybe for you, you are an incredible golfer. I am not an incredible golfer. I think Pastor Jeff is an incredible golfer. Maybe you are as well. You go out on the golf course with your grandson. You finally get him out on the golf course. He's been very reluctant to play. He's never played golf in his entire life. Never. And you've played golf for years. And so on hole one, you know how this is going to go. You know you're going to have to take it easy on him, and you know it's going to be a beatdown probably either way. But come hole 18, you look back, and he's got a better score than you. And you're just like, how on earth did this happen? That's your area of expertise. That is an ego humiliation, One of two of many, many examples. But the same thing remains that not only we have an ego, but if we don't learn to manage our ego in many, many cases, in moments of insults, in moments of accusations being thrown at us, we will be tempted to do one thing in particular. We will prop ourselves up, and in doing so, we'll tear somebody else down. If you have Facebook, like I have Facebook, you can scroll through on any given day, and you can see this happening. It's going to be very difficult to climb a ladder to the top of a really cool building, and you look to your right, and you see another ladder. And somebody's racing you to the top. Your only goal in that moment is to get to the top quicker. So if you look over and this person is beating you towards the top, you'll do anything you have to do, including maybe even push them off the ladder to get to the top. We all have a tendency, whether we like it or not, to prop ourselves up from time to time, to allow our ego to get fed rather than humiliated. And in doing so, we tear one another down. We have to learn to manage our ego or our ego will manage us. And it will manage our decisions, our words that we speak, the things we type before we post. But that leads to the second thing that has to get out of the way. Not just our ego, but I think our emotions have to take a back seat. You see, emotions are something that we all have. And naturally, emotions are not bad things at all. Emotions can be really good indicators of where we are as a human being. It can teach us things about ourselves that we didn't formerly know. But if we allow ourselves to act off of our emotional response 
initially in a scenario where we feel something negative, chances are our response that we give that person is only going to make matters worse. I'm working through this book right now with two individuals at our church. It's called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. I'd highly recommend you read it. It is a fantastic work of literature. I'm going through it right now with Brett Fenstermaker. He's uh, one of our worship leaders in the other building. And uh, Ethan Swords, who's in our production booth right now, uh, holding it down. Can we give our production booth a round of applause? They've been keeping us going throughout COVID. They like to be behind the scenes, um, and they do a fantastic job in their roles. But I'm going through this book with those two right now. And the author's right at the beginning of this book. They make a profound statement to kind of set up where they're taking us on their journey. They say this, we as human beings experience things emotionally before our reason has time to kick in. As human beings, we experience things emotionally before our reason even has time to kick in. Which is why I think that we have to be willing in these moments of the opportunity to turn the other cheek, we have to be willing to spend time on what I like to call the bridge of reason. I want to paint this picture for you. On one side of the bridge, you've got your initial emotion that you feel in any given situation. Sometimes this emotion is positive. Many times this emotion is negative in some form. Then on the other side of the bridge, you've got your eventual response. This is, this is the moment when you decide to give something back. You decide to actually respond to the situation at hand. For many people, this bridge is very long. For many people, this bridge is essentially non-existent and very short. I believe that if we are willing to spend time on the bridge, it will allow us to do a few things in between these two scenarios. It will allow us to process what just happened. It will allow us to take some deep breaths in light of what was just said to us or done to us. And it will eventually allow us to think logically enough by the use of the Holy Spirit and our reason within us as humans to respond the best way possible, that will benefit both parties. We have to spend time on the bridge. We're tempted to fight evil with evil because anger might be what we feel in a moment. Frustration might be be what we feel in a moment. But I wonder, I just wonder, how much more peace our world and our culture would have if we collectively as a society decided to spend time on the bridge before posting on Facebook or responding to something we see, or sending that news article that tears down that candidate that we didn't vote for to our group of friends. I just wonder how much more peace we would see when we look to our right and to our left. Because here's what I believe. When the responses of God's people catch the world off guard in a good way, that's when the world changes. That's when the culture shifts. When we are able to shock the world with the way that we live, with the way that we speak, with the way that we act, with the things we post, it won't make sense to the world. But what it will show them is that we're choosing the higher road. We're choosing to follow the footsteps of what Jesus lays out for us. We're choosing to receive without retaliation. But once we receive, as the bridge illustration shows, there does come a time where we respond where we give something back. And I believe God desires we respond with something redemptive. We receive without retaliation, but when it comes time to respond, we respond with something redemptive. Jesus says this, don't resist an evil person. You see, God's intention was never for us to chase after revenge. 
Never for us to seek revenge. In fact, Paul even talks about this in Romans 12. Here's what he says. Dear friends, never, never, not sometimes, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. This is God speaking. I will pay them back. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If your enemies are thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads for what they've done. God wants our response to reflect his image. I believe God wants our response to reflect Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, and how he lived, how he spoke, how he taught, how he responded. And how did Jesus respond? I think N.T. Wright quotes it beautifully. Here's what he says. When they mocked him, he didn't respond. When they challenged him, he told stories that forced people to think differently. When they struck him, he took the pain. When they put the worst bit of Roman equipment on his back, the cross that would eventually be used to kill him, he carried it out of the city to the place of his execution. And finally, when they nailed him to the cross, he prayed for them. He prayed for them? Some of you may know the account that that's referencing. That when Jesus is hanging on a cross, just like that one, and he says three words that shock everybody listening and shock everyone even today reading. When in light of everything that's just taking place, the N.T. writes to summarize for us, Jesus is hanging here and he says, Father, before I leave, I need you to forgive them. Forgive. Forgive them? You see, Jesus made a decision in that moment to not fight evil with evil. To not fight for justice for anything with fists and fury. He decided to give them something better and give them something that only the God of this universe could give them. That is forgiveness. But you see, forgiveness, it's something that has to be decided in advance. I don't think I've met any human being in my life who, after getting slapped, can immediately, in the moment, by themselves, respond with forgiveness. The ones that I've met that can do it take some time on the bridge. They decide that the best way to go forward is to forgive the act, the word that just took place or was said. You and I have to be so convinced that because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we've been forgiven, that now we accept the privilege, not the burden, the privilege to extend that forgiveness towards the people who are just like us in that they're undeserving of it. See, a lot of times when we come to know Jesus Christ, we try to convince ourselves that we're then perfect and therefore we're deserving of the forgiveness we were given. And I'm here to tell you very blatantly today that that's not true. That we have a better way to do life now. We can put our faith, our hope, our trust in Jesus Christ alone, but the forgiveness that he offered us when he was on a cross like that one, we didn't deserve and neither did the people that he's inviting us to extend that forgiveness to as now people working for him, people serving the kingdom. Because when we choose to turn the other cheek towards someone, we're helping them understand their sins, their hateful comments, the places in their life that maybe they fall short, just like we did. But once they see their sin, we have to show them their savior. We have to show them what forgiveness looks like. That there's actually a blood-bought type of forgiveness that covers each and every one of those sins that they've committed. They're stuck in in the moment, and they will commit in the future. 
God desires to offer them something that can cover their shortcomings, just like he did for us. The year was 2015. The month was June. It was right in the middle of the month. We had VBS going on here that summer. And I remember that there was a Wednesday night, particularly in that week, where I got some sort of update on my phone that two hours away there was a church service going on in Charleston. And this guy walked in and sat through it for a few minutes, and then he started shooting with a gun he brought. And he injured nearly everybody in there and killed nine of them. I was shocked. This can't happen in a church. It was crazy to even think about. We in South Carolina, it was close to home. The nation got a hold of it. The world knew about it. And a few months later, I remember I was watching this live a few months later. The families of those nine victims, they got a chance to look this guy in the eyes. They took away their loved one in a courtroom. And this was the moment. They'd walked the bridge of reason. They'd gotten to a place where I could say anything I want. I can say anything that I desire to say based on the way he's made me feel over the last few months. But here's what they said, all of them. They said, um, you took something away from us that we can never get back. You took someone in our life away that we loved more than anybody on the face of this planet. And nothing can change that. But in this moment, we desire to offer you forgiveness. We're here to say, we forgive you. I'm not sure there's been anything in that kind of setting since then that has shocked the world more than those three words. You forgive the man who took your loved one away when they were praying to our heavenly father? Are you serious? How the heck can that be? There were many people who assumed that they said that just to get media attention and get famous. I believe that no human being on their own strength can look that man in the eyes and say, we forgive you. There was a higher power involved. It's the same power we're here on Pentecost to celebrate of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus, when he spoke these words in Matthew that we read today, a little bit later, he spoke about a promise of something, someone that he would send. That's the Holy Spirit. And he said that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will not only never be the same, but you will seek to walk a new path. You will seek to use the power that's now inside of you that you could never find in this world. You'll have a certain level of fulfillment that you could never find in this world, and you will be able to offer forgiveness to someone who you define as undeserving of it. And I believe, church, even as a 23-year-old who's still kind of new to all of this, that that's how our world changes. That's how our culture shifts. When people understand that there's a power they can accept today that will allow them to never be the same and will allow them to experience forgiveness that nothing else, no one else could possibly give them. I think that's what Jesus is inviting us to do today. He's inviting us to look in the eyes someone who had wronged us in any given scenario, whether it be a small thing or a big thing, and utter those same words. Because you're loved by God, I seek to do the same and I forgive you. Those are three very difficult words to say, very difficult. 
And it's even harder to say those words if you've never accepted forgiveness for yourself. It is very difficult to extend something to someone that you don't have. And I believe that today the Holy Spirit has been stirring something in this room and online. That forgiveness is on the table right now. It's on the table. Because of what happened on a cross just like that one, forgiveness is able to be accepted by you, by me, by us. And once we accept it, God will use us to show it to as many people as we possibly can. And one day, here's what I believe. One day we're going to look back many, many years from now. And we're going to be able to see all the times in our life where because we showed forgiveness and we didn't retaliate, good came from it. God's glory came from it. Someone came to know Jesus Christ because of it. I believe that's what God wants to see out of his people. I think that's what's going to please God. Even this week. Is by turning the other cheek when everyone in the world, other than the body of Christ, is telling you not to. Turn the other cheek. Don't retaliate. Simply seek to respond with something redemptive, like forgiveness. You know, it'd be a tragedy greater than any other tragedy for anyone to walk out of here today not knowing that this was the last chance you had to accept forgiveness. Not knowing what the world holds when we exit this place, but being promised this very moment, right now. And that you have the opportunity to reach out and never be the same, ever. I want to give you that opportunity today. Let's pray together. Father, many of your commands through Jesus Christ are very, very difficult, but not impossible. As is this one, God, it's very difficult to turn the other cheek. It's very difficult to not be involved in the cultural norm when it comes to our response in situations that harm us, that frustrate us, that are defined as negative. But I'm thankful that in many cases, just like this one, you provided a model for what it looks like. Jesus Christ was beaten He was killed in such a way that most of us will never fully have to deal with ourselves. And even then, he offered forgiveness to the people who did it. God, I'm thankful that you intend to use us to extend that same forgiveness to those around us. That you are inviting your people to never be the same. And the Holy Spirit's the only person who can make that happen. I'm believing the Holy Spirit's on the move in this room right now. For those watching online, the Holy Spirit is moving. And I pray for that person right now who before showing forgiveness just needs to accept it for themselves. That Jesus Christ gave himself up so that we could have forgiveness for the sins that we commit and we don't deserve. Thank you for the freedom that comes with it and I pray that you would allow someone to come to know you personally today. This day would be one they look back on where something changed and they were never the same. I pray for those of us who have been walking with you for a little while now. And we read about passages just like this. And we know that's what you want out of our lives. But we get blinded by what culture wants. We get blinded by what culture's doing. Because it is indeed the majority around us. 
I pray that you would allow us to step out in faith today. That maybe, just maybe, the peace that we want to see in our world, in our nation, even in our state, in our community, maybe that peace starts with us. It starts with a step in the right direction, the most righteous direction towards forgiveness to those who don't deserve it. Would you allow us, even during this closing time of worship, to be convicted to the point of accepting your forgiveness and seeing peace take place in our world by showing that forgiveness to others. Allow us to receive without retaliation and respond with something redemptive, even now as we worship. We give you all the honor, praise, and glory that you alone are worthy of. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.